And yet in families, I've even noticed we avoid conversations in my own personal family whenever there's tough conversations to have, which doesn't build up the relationship. But that's because our culture has avoided it. So that's why I wanted to look at passages of Scripture today to look at this and how they did not avoid those conversations. So I decided to focus on this today because people in the world, people in the larger body of Christ, and at times in the smaller body of Christ, even this one, have difficulty communicating their thoughts with others of the because of inability to disagree with others in this culture. I see this in counseling all the time. People do not know how to agree to disagree. And at times, that's needed. What I have noticed from being a pastor and also a full-time clinician in the behavioral health field is so people don't know how to agree to disagree. I should just read what I wrote. Um, People have learned to say... To not say anything at all when they don't agree, or at least in the moment, or until they are around someone that they know who disagrees with that other person with them, and have the same common beliefs, which causes us to move towards an area that we shouldn't be moving in our family of Christ. So today I want to walk through the scriptures with you all and take a look on how our biblical family in the scriptures communicated with one another, even through disagreements, and that even at times with authority figures of that area where they lived, and how this was done. So let us take a look together. Turn with me to Galatians 5 first. And as you turn there, we're going to look at the way that we should be um, communicating with people whenever we may not agree with them. It gives us instructions on how to disagree with somebody. So Galatians 5, 22 through 26 says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. These are the behaviors that we need to be approaching somebody with if we don't agree with them. It goes on to say, Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become boastful, challenging one another, envying one another. Okay, we're supposed to actually come in the presence and if Darissa and I have a disagreement, I need to make sure my heart and my approach is not boastful and I'm not coming with the wrong intentions. So I should be coming with gentleness and self-control and with faithfulness and good intentions, which is goodness and kindness. If you follow those instructions of the Spirit, that approach, that disagreement, even though you may disagree at the end, is going to be accepted a lot easier. So let us look at the scriptures and how these biblical patriarchs and matriarchs within these these passages may have used this gift of the Spirit 
or may not have. So let us turn to Luke 10, 38 to 42. In this passage here, we see Mary and Martha and how Jesus came to them and he was teaching in their house. So, and you know how I love to use props and I like to give you visuals. So, my daughter said I could use some of her visuals and I know Dr. Stokes said don't intertwine some of this stuff, but I have to use what I have, so I'm going to use some of her stuff. So, here we have Mary. Right? And then we have Martha. Wait, no, I'm sorry. This is Martha, and this is Mary. Now, we're all princesses, right? If you're females in the the kingdom of God, so even Martha here should have a princess dress. But let's read through this. And it says, now, as they were traveling along, that is Jesus, he entered a village... And a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. Remember, Martha is the one saying, Jesus, come into my home. She had a sister called Mary, who was seated at the Lord's feet, listening to his word. But Martha was distracted with all her preparations. And she kept up, she came up to him. And said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the serving alone? Then tell her to help me. We all, it seems like most of us have been around children or have their own children. And how many of us have been put in that situation? The the children look to the authority to, to solve the problem. And it goes on to say... That he, the Lord answered Martha and said, You are worried and bothered about so many things. She's cooking, she's cleaning, she's getting everything prepared. But only one thing is necessary for Mary. Mary has chosen the good part, which shall not be taken away from her. You see, Martha's approach wasn't in loving kindness, wasn't in goodness. But what she could have done, why Mary is sitting here, is approach and come up perhaps behind her sister and say, I really need some help with the lasagna, right? Or, and then Mary could have actually turned to Martha and said, right after Messiah finishes, I will help you. Wouldn't have needed the authority figure in that situation to rule on that. And at the same time, what Jesus do? He corrected Martha in that way and said, You know what? She's chosen the wise ways. So, there's a conversation where they look to the authority figure to actually correct and move forward. And it wasn't what Martha actually probably was thinking would happen. Now, another passage, though, that I want to turn to and look at comes from Galatians 2. So, if you'll flip back there, we have two, actually, authority figures that are not going to agree with one another. We have the Apostle Paul, and we have the Apostle Peter. These are conversations that I wish we had more detail to, because I would have loved to have seen how they interacted with one another. But Peter, he was was actually with the people of Antioch, interacting with them, yet we know from this passage 
that whenever his Jewish brothers would come in, he would kind of fall back and be with the Jewish people and not interact as much. And, and Paul here is going to oppose them. So let's read through Galatians 2, 11 through 15. But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For prior to the coming of certain men from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they came, he began to withdraw and hold himself aloof, fearing the party of circumcision. So he's fearing the Jewish people. The rest of the Jews joined him in hypocrisy. So they were all intermingling and talking and getting along and one anothering. But they were worried about what the the higher court, the higher Jewish people would think if they came in. So they were joining Peter in this hypocrisy. With the result that even Barnabas was carried away by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas, in the presence of all, in a public setting, if you, being a Jew, live like the Gentiles and not like the Jews, How is it that you compel the Gentiles to live like Jews? We are Jews by nature, not sinners from among the Gentiles. He did this in a public setting because Peter was doing these actions in a public setting. Let me give you a better approach. I'm not opposing Paul at all in this because I don't know all the details of everything. But if somebody actually says in a public setting something perhaps you can go around and talk to them on a different level individually to see if they'll maybe even talk to people individually and make up for their what they said wrongly. I've had that done, right? I've had to come back the next Sunday and say, hey, I didn't, I actually didn't mean what I said. I guess I presented it wrong, or maybe I did and now have a bigger understanding of it. But it's because people cared enough to come to me and say, Hey, I think you may have got that scripture wrong. So it's always better, let me say, to try to do things in private and let them make up for their own mistake. But if they won't, then you have to do things in public. But I also think here, in this setting, Paul may have already struggled with that of Exodus twenty sixteen. One of the Ten Commandments actually says, I'll read this to you if you want to read Turn to 1 Timothy 5.13. I'm going to flip there in a minute. But one of the Ten Commandments says, You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Paul's mindset was not going to be to bear false witness against Peter. He wanted to correct him and he wanted to walk with him. I'm going to tell you right now, our churches... And when I moved to Texas for seminary, I saw a Baptist church almost on every street corner. And that is because Peter, right, was over here and Paul was over here. And if Paul didn't approach Peter and talk with him or oppose him, they would have went their separate ways and got their own following of people. And they would have started their own congregations and not really joined together. And they wouldn't have been together in the Lord. We have to have these conversations or we're going to find ourselves 
going different directions, and that's not the unity of the body. These tough conversations haven't taken place in generations, but we see splits because of it. And what we do when we get around somebody that actually sees it our way, we start to be lifted up, we get a little boastful. And what we're actually doing, as I said in 1 Timothy 5.13, it points to, to this same type of thing. It says, at the same time, they also learn to be idle as they go around from house to house. And not merely idle, but also gossips and busybodies. When you actually start to do this with one another, you're gossiping, you're starting rumors, you're doing things that aren't of Christ. Yet, having a tougher conversation, learning to one another through things that we may not agree with, will do away with that. If you want another passage, you can look at 2 Timothy 3. It goes right into this. I won't turn to that now because of the time. But I'm saying these tougher conversations, what we feel uncomfortable doing, can actually avoid the gossiping or joining and going two separate ways. The tougher conversations keeps us united in the body of Christ. Let's turn together to Daniel 1. Daniel here is actually about to have a disagreement. Or not a disagreement, I would say. I think he was thinking... uh, of being wise as a serpent and gentle as a dove when he was actually being overseen by the king that wasn't Jewish. And yet he knew he couldn't partake of the food that was in the king's court. And he told Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, which I don't really like using those names because those were Gentile-given names. It was Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael and Azariah, as I read those through these passages so long ago, I started making sure I use their God-given names, even though the songs always refer to them as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Anyways, that's a side product. Um, Daniel 1, 8 through 17, points to Daniel approaching someone in the king's court and saying, hey, can we not have this, but that commander of the court had been told to make sure that these boys, these men, were actually looking healthy within the king's presence. So let us read here how Daniel goes about this. But Daniel made up his mind that he would not defile himself with the king's choice food or with the wine which he drank. So he sought permission from the commander of the officials that he might not defile himself. Now God granted Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the commander of the officials. And the commander of the officials said to Daniel, I am afraid of my lord the king who has appointed your food and your drink. For why should he see your faces looking more haggard than the youths who are your own age? Then you would make me forfeit my head to the king. So this guy's saying, why? Why would you want to do this? You have the wine, the choice wine of the king. You have the food at your hands. 
And if I do this, you're probably not going to look as healthy, right? Our society doesn't like healthy all the time. But you're not going to look as healthy if you go the other way. And Daniel's saying, he already had thought through his mind, I'm not going to go away from what God has told us to do. So Daniel said to the overseer, whom, whom the commander of the officials had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, Please test your servants for 10 days. So he went to a smaller. When you actually break it down and say, Okay, we're not supposed to see the king for another 40 days. Can we have just a sliver of this and we'll prove it to you? God will show you that will be just as good looking as those others. So the servant, for 10 days, and let us be given some vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance be observed in your presence. And the appearance of the youths who are eating the king's choice food. And deal with your servants according to what you see. A visual, right? So he listened to them in this matter and tested them for ten days. At the end of ten days, their appearance seemed better and they were fatter than all the youths who had been eating the king's choice food. So the overseer continued to withhold their choice food and wine they were to drink and kept giving them vegetables. Amazing that this happened because Daniel thought it through. He, I would imagine that Daniel was probably even nervous to approach this with that king's commander. But he knew he couldn't partake and continue in this way. And we see how God uses Daniel later on. So he had a tough conversation with the king's commander. And we see here how God, if you plan and your intentions are good and it's to stay close to God, God can change that heart of the one that didn't even know. So that's one for Daniel and working with authority. Let's turn to Genesis 19. 1 through 11. We're going to see several different approaches to conversations in this passage. For this is Sodom and Gomorrah. This is right before the destruction happens with Lot. And the angels come in here in this passage. And we're going to see Lot's approach to the angels. We're going to see the, the men of the city approaching the angels. And we're going to see an interaction between Lot and the men as well. But look at the differences in the heart and the approach of this conversation. Genesis 19, 1-11 Now the two angels came to Sodom in the evening, as Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. When Lot saw them, he rose to meet them and bowed down with his face to the ground. So he had recognized their holiness, their righteousness. And he said, Now behold, my lords, please turn aside into your servant's house. Because Lot knew what was going on in Sodom. He knew the evil that it was. And his heart was in the right place. And he didn't want him to go forward. Spend the night. Wash your feet. Then you may rise early and go on your way. They said, however, no, but we, will, we shall spend the night in the square. They already had their destination where they were planning. And we hear, see here, I mean, he's 
having a tough conversation with the angels. I can't imagine. If, an, if I knew that I was having a conversation, perhaps he didn't know they were angels, I would probably say, if I knew they were angels, okay, you know what you're doing. I don't. And it goes on, he, he urged them to strongly, st- or urged them strongly, so they turned aside to him and entered his house. And he prepared a feast for them and baked unleavened bread and they ate before they lay down. So they had a whole evening of uh, feasting and one anothering. The men of the city, the men of Sodom surrounded the house, both young and old, all the people from every quarter. So they came in through the gates. They had seen who they are. They saw that they went with Lot to his house. Look at their heart and their intentions. As we move on to the next passage. And they called to Lot and said to him, Where are these men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us, that we may have relations with them, that we may have sex with them. They were not in the right mindset. But Lot went out to them at the doorway and shut the door behind them. I love this. Can you imagine this? Lot, say this is a door. He comes out and says, no, no, stay there, hold on. And he says to them, now behold, please, my brothers, do not act wickedly. These are holy men inside. You don't want to do this. Behold, I have two daughters. I can't imagine this. I have two daughters. I I think I may stand aside and say, get them, go for it, right? Right? But in his way of thinking, this biblical mindset, I have two daughters who have not had relations with men or man. Please let me bring them out to you and do to them whatever you like. Only do nothing to these men inasmuch as they have come under the shelter of my roof. You see his heart. He's looking for the people. He'd already went back and forth with God for these people. And these men had not the right intentions. But they said, stand aside. Furthermore, this one came in as an alien, talking about Lot. He's not even part of their people. And already he is acting like a judge. Now we will treat you worse than them. So they pressed hard against Lot and came near to break the door. So Lot's being pushed back up against the door. But the men reached out their hands and brought Lot into the house with them and shut the door. I don't know. I would love to see the movie of this because Lot's being pushed against the door and you see these two men in their hands. Okay. Right? Because those men, those angels from God were looking out for Lot too. They struck the men who were at the doorway of the house with blindness, both small and great, so that they wearied themselves trying to find the doorway. Wow. Pulled in, blindness, because I would imagine the door opened and they rushed right in and they were struck down with no sight. Then the two men said to Lot, Whom else have you have here? A son-in-law and your sons and your daughters and whomever you have in the city. Bring them out of the place. For we are about to destroy this place because their outcry has become so great before the Lord that the Lord has sent us to destroy it. These men 
These angels are warning Lot, get your people out. This was the last time God wearied down, or God came down to ten. You can see the differences in this tough conversation here. In these several different areas of conversation, too. And Lot's heart was in the right place. The people of the city was in the wrong place. So there's another tough conversation. Now, we can see how things have progressed here towards the uh, authority figures, towards even Lot with the angels. Now, who would dare have a tough conversation with the Almighty God? Let's look. Exodus 32. Well, I can see in this passage, God was talked to with Moses, was talking with Moses, and Moses cries out, his heart is for the people that he brought out of Egypt. And yet, they had turned aside when Moses was up on Mount Sinai, and God had seen it, and he was ready to destroy him. And yet Moses cries back with a heart after the people. And I know that this makes it look that Moses can actually turn God's choice. Yet I have to go on the side with Dr. Stokes where it's like he already knew what Moses was going to say. And he played this out for our purpose. Knowing that we could cry out to God and ask him to help those who have turned against him as well. So... Let us read through this passage. They have quickly turned aside from the way which I commanded them. They have made for themselves a molten calf. This is God talking to Moses. And have worshipped it and have sacrificed to it. This is your God, they say, O Israel, who brought you up from the land of Egypt. This silly calf made out of gold is what brought you out. Are you kidding Yet we struggle in, with that even in our church at times. Not this, Hopefully not in this one, but in the larger body. The Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, they are an obstinate people. Now then, let me alone, basically talking to Moses, leave me alone that my anger may burn against them and that I may destroy them. And I will make of you a great nation. I was talking to Kara last night about this. This is the first time I really caught this. He's saying, let me get rid of everyone that is of my people. And I will make of you a great nation. Which the, the covenant between Abraham still wouldn't have been forfeited. Because Moses comes from Abraham. But it would have started over. And Moses' heart. Because he had the spirit and the love that God had put in him for these people. Says that Moses entreated the Lord his God and said, O Lord, why does your anger burn against your people whom you have brought out from the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians speak saying, With evil intent, he brought them out to kill them in the mountains and to destroy them from the surface or of the face of the earth. 
to turn from burning anger and change your mind about doing harm to your people. Don't you remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel? Your servants to whom you swore by yourself and said to them, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of heavens. And all this land of which I have spoken, I will give to your descendants and they shall inherit it forever. It goes on to say, the Lord changed his mind about the harm which he said he would do to his people. You keep reading. Moses goes on. This is the interesting thing. Because you can see that God had saw it because he sees everything. Moses is petitioning God. Moses goes on down. And this isn't the second commandment that was given. This was the first one. And he goes down and he literally sees it. And he breaks those commandments. I'm sure glad Moses didn't see it before he petitioned God. Because it could have had a different outcome. But yet, we know that God knows all things, even before it's done. But here we see Moses actually having a tough conversation with the Almighty God, right? And this isn't easy for anybody. But if Moses can do it with God, you guys can surely do it with me. I can do it with Bruce. I can do it with somebody else that I highly regard. If I'm doing it correctly and I am thinking and utilizing the Spirit in love, in kindness, and goodness, I also want you to know that we, and I've watched Bruce do this over the years, which I still struggle with. I can tell you that standing here. I struggle to always give somebody the benefit of the doubt. But I've seen it with him. Well, I'm sure they meant this. Uh, that's not the way it came across to me, and I was there, and you weren't. Well, you, I'm pretty sure I know them pretty well, too. And that uh, He gives them the benefit of the doubt. And if you think people have good intentions, you're going to approach them differently. I have noticed that with myself. If I think somebody has good intentions, but maybe I just don't agree with them, I'm going to approach them and say, hey, can we have a conversation? And it's not that hard. Turn to Romans 14, last passage. We're not all going to be fully convinced of the same things. But we can still focus on the Messiah. We can still work together in the unity of the Lord. And this passage tells us how we may not always agree, but we can work together. Romans 14, 1-5 Now accept the one who is weak in faith, but not for the purpose of passing judgment on his opinions. One person has faith that he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats vegetables only. The one who eats is not to regard with contempt the one who does not eat. And the one who does not eat is not to judge the one who eats. So don't judge me if I have my tri-tip, because I love it. Okay, But I should still be working with the vegetarian. For God has accepted him, or both of us. Who are you to judge the servant of another? 
To his own master he stands or falls, and he will stand for the Lord is able to make him stand. One person regards one day above another. Another regards every day alike. Each person, get this, this is the important part. Each person must be fully convinced in his own mind. We have to have those tough conversations. And I've had these at times. And I didn't think it went anywhere with that other person. But we're still working together, doing things. And lo and behold, six months later, a year later, they come back to me and they say, remember that conversation you had about, this is one I've had with my own family recently, not eating blood? Uh, Yeah, it was over a year ago. Where was that passage? It's permeating with them. I can't fully convince them. Just like I can't bring anybody to the Lord. The Lord does this. Amen? This is His work. I'm to work together with the brothers and sisters in the body of Christ. We are to work together and not cause separation. Having tough conversations is going to be a large part of this. Looking out for our brothers and sisters and their integrity when other people may be talking in different ways. You've got to bring it back together. When somebody comes to me and says, Hey, I heard this. Can you give me an answer? Well, where'd you hear it from? And who's it about? Because if it's about somebody, I'm not going to answer you. I'm going to send you directly to that person. Have a tough conversation with them. Perhaps I already had it with them. But if you have it too, there may be more influence and it's more people. Perhaps it's me you need to have the conversation with. And maybe I've already had it with Matt and I disagree with him. But now Brian comes to me with the same thing. Don't you think it's going to impact me more if I just heard it from Matt? And now Brian's the one coming to me too? Yeah, it's going to have a bigger impact. So am I saying that we shouldn't hold each other accountable whenever sin is going on? If something's going on, am I saying that God's supposed to turn that person aside? No, He tells us to hold that person accountable to sin. But what I'm saying is there's a lot of other stuff that's not sinful that we may just have disagreements on. But when it comes to sin... And sinful acts. We need to be holding people accountable. Because may it never be that this would be allowed in this congregation or even in the larger body of Christ. But we will have our differences on the other things. And those other things are smaller. It's a biblical mindset to disagree with others. But we must watch how we approach them, making sure our heart is in the correct place. Not gossiping or encouraging others to brew about the situation and bring our concerns appropriately before them as we must truly believe that they have good intentions in what they are doing. This is possibly a big mind shift for some of us, including myself as I work on this in my own life. But we must think biblically as Dr. Stokes is talking about the mindset set and how we got here 
in his series and allow God to transform our minds in such a way as we've discussed as we work in unity in the body of Christ for our glory is with him and not our own. So let us work together and have these tough conversations and know that the tough conversations aren't going to go so well at the beginning because this is a skill. This isn't something that just comes about. So let us go to the Lord today in prayer. Abba, we come before you. I thank you today for working on my own heart. I ask you, O God, work in the larger body of Christ and work within the hearts of people here that we may come to present ourselves to you and give each other the benefit of the doubt and yet be able to approach when we don't agree and have a heart of love and understanding and one that would speak kindness within gentleness. And may we glorify you in our unity as we work together in this congregation and in the larger body of Christ. These things we ask.